What's up, guys? Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week, we'll cover the topics most important to you, from marketing and selling your products to winning on social media and everything in between. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host, John Malecki, runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. Over the past few years, we've seen the value of bouncing ideas back and forth, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 11. Today, we're starting a three-part series on pricing. We'll start with understanding your market, because before you can price your work, you need to know your product, your competition, and your customer. We're going to dive into each one of these topics and hit the high points that you need to be considering. And this has been a highly requested topic, so I know you guys are going to love this series. What's up, John? Uh, not much, man. Laser focus today. Uh, we've been getting tons of requests and comments about pricing, I think, since we dropped our first series. So <laughs> yes. I am um, stoked that we're finally going to get into it. It is going to be an awesome playbook for us. So eyes and ears open for that. Absolutely. At the end of the series, John alluded to it, we will have a downloadable playbook just like we did for our Instagram series, which was our first series. It's kind of something that we're going to try to do um, every couple months or so is have a series and have a download that you can tangibly take and have quick and easy reference to. But before we get started, we just want to go ahead and thank uh, our MFP tribe over there on Patreon. Uh, These are folks who are supporting us there at patreon.com forward slash made for profit. And they get an after show they can listen to as well as some other cool rewards if you want to go check that out. But this week we have added AJ Elric, Make It Mazio, Chris McIntosh, Jeff McGuire, Scott Seidler, and Tyler Snedding. Thank you so much, guys, for your contributions. And we're looking forward to getting to know you guys over there on Patreon. All right, John, what you been doing this week, brother? Well, I've had quite the um, intense week here. I dropped my bookshelf video, which I'm stoked for, a little DIY hardware I was speaking of last week. Had Timberland Pro in the shop shooting some promo for their uh, for their personal use as well as my channel. I've got Lincoln Electric coming in tomorrow. Um, stoked for that. <laughs> I just wrapped Dude. up my WeldTable.com table, which is a huge improvement to my shop. And I have the world famous Izzy Swan coming by later nice. in the week. And I am stoked for that. We're going to get on a collab video and I'm just going to pick his brain until he's probably annoyed and never wants to speak with me again. <laughs> but um, pumped for that. Izzy's a great dude. And I've learned a ton since meeting him. And I know we've uh, we've both built a friendship with him. So I'm, I'm super pumped for that. Yeah. So what do you got man, going on, man? You are, you are like doing it crazy style man that you have a ton of stuff going on that is awesome though but yeah izzy is uh izzy's a great guy we uh we tried to hook up we weren't able to uh but i'm glad that you're gonna be able to get some time with him up there in the shop that's gonna be that's gonna be fun oh yeah um i actually have been honestly i have not been doing a lot in the shop uh it's like hey i'm full time and i haven't been in my shop in a week (laughs) so i have been (laughs) I've been doing the uh, computer work and lots of phone calls. So that is one thing that it's it's been interesting. Actually, I've had a just a lot of sponsored work coming my way, which is awesome. Uh, but it also, as you know, takes time and effort and all that good stuff and, and figuring out what we all need and, um, you know, what's going to work. And so I've been doing a, a lot of that. And then I've also really been spending a lot of time just kind of prepping around here. So doing some much needed home repairs 
uh, fixed two toilets today and, and then, mm. uh, yeah. And then spent some time, um, just been spent some time with my daughter before she goes off to kindergarten, which will be this week. So this is the last week that I'll actually have kids in the house during the day. Uh, and then next week will officially be, you know, full time status quo. I'm home all day without anybody here. So, so, you know, gearing up for that. And I, I'm looking forward to get back out the shop, man, because I'm, it's been a bit. It's been a minute since I've thrown some sawdust. I know, dude. I feel like uh, the back and forth, you know, we we constantly swap thumbnails and photographs and, and you know, see what we like about whatnot. And Brad's, uh, Brad's over here kind of just sending pictures of him and his daughter playing games. And I'm like, <laughs> man, <laughs> are you on a staycation right now? But <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you earned tell you it, what, Take a week I off know. before you get back into it. And, uh, and, and I'm pumped to see you back in the shop full time, rocking and rolling next week. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, but it has, it's been nice just to take a, a slight step back and, and it's, it's been awesome. So selling your products and pricing them, man, we have gotten so much conversation about this. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned at the top, just, it started right out of the beginning, right out of the gate. Um, but what we want to do is just jump in and start talking about what you need to do uh, on the front end. So this is going to be, you know, we're going to kind of get that that content sandwich that we've talked about. So we're going to set it up here in the first episode. Um, the meat is really going to be in the next episode. We're going to talk about the nuts and bolts and the actual, like, here's how you do it. Here's cost-based price, pricing, market-based, time and material, all that good stuff. But today we really need to start with, like, before you can do that, you need to know what you have, who you're selling to and who you're selling uh, with or against, or, you know, what's in your market. So, you know, the, the first thing, right. So know your product, know your competition and know your customer, um, knowing your product. And, and John, we had some, some awesome conversation on this, um, earlier in the week and this just, you know, in general over the past year or so, um, you know, quality versus price. Uh, when, when you think about knowing your product and I know that you had some, some great words in the uh, the Instagram series actually about positioning yourself and your brand. Um, what did that journey look like for you? And, you know, why don't we start there on like knowing your product? Because I know you've you've come. You know, you you started with pocket holes, and and mm-hmm. now you're doing high end custom furniture. So, like, how does that look for you when you started out? And how was that transition of like knowing your product and and developing an understanding of you know what you wanted to work on and what you wanted to sell as your skills grew. So I think um, kind of the concept of what it is, is looking at yourself and how do you evaluate yourself? Are you a DIYer or are you a professional? Um, And in my eyes, that is the quality, the quality as associated with price um, for me. And, you know, uh, we touched on pocket holes. I've, I've touched on pocket holes a ton. Like I just dropped my YouTube video last week and made a pocket hole comment. A bunch of people got heard about it. But my reason for bringing up the pocket hole thing is because... It is an extremely simplistic, very easy means of joinery that is a great introductory way to get into woodworking and learn how to be inspired and um, get, you know, a lot of stuff done as a woodworker, quote unquote, while you develop more skill. When it comes to selling, you need to think about that specific means of putting two pieces of wood together compared to an individual who is you know, hand chiseling mortise and tenon joints, which one do you think deserves a higher price point? And that comes down to the quality of the craftsmanship. Now, you can get into the argument of is the pocket hole joint as strong as, you know, a hand carved mortise and tenon joint? But 
thinking of it not from that standpoint and thinking of it more as the uh, the quality of the craftsmanship in the skill set, a lot more skill goes into an extremely beautifully tight, you know, um, exposed tenon joint over a pocket hole with hidden joints that are puttied over and painted. When it comes to pricing, you have to consider these types of things into how you're pricing your product. So when it says quality, like, yes, you can build a very sturdy, rugged piece using pocket holes per se. But when it comes to pricing, the individual who's put 35 hours of strict joinery into a piece um, that's, say, extremely high end is going to be able to justify that price point much easier than if you're trying to justify that price point and that buyer knows that you use, you know, a less complicated means of say joinery, um, as well as the quality of the material. Same thing goes. If you're using, um, you know, box store pine for your furniture, it's not going to justify the same price as Claro Walnut. And we know that right. because, you know, because walnut is a more expensive wood. But besides that, it's a higher quality wood. It is a more dense wood. It's a harder wood and it's a um, it holds Keller longer over time. Like things like that justify the quality and the price. So when you're when you get started knowing your product, you have to look at these parts of it and you have to say to yourself, OK, is this an extremely complex piece? How much time has gone into design? How much time has gone into the actual assembly of the piece? And how much um, quality is based in the raw materials of it? And I think that's a good place to start when it comes to the quality versus price concept. Because don't get me wrong, you can build beautiful high-end cabinetry using pocket holes. And it is almost the exact same as 90% of the market out there is going to be building cabinetry. That's because the pocket hole was developed to build cabinets. But Besides that point, you know, it all, you you um, you can still justify a high price point based on the other aspects of what goes into quality. So I'm not saying at all that just because you use pocket holes, you're getting less you know, value in your product because that's not the case. So you know, there's an, sometimes it's the only way to do something. Um, but it's a good example, I think, of how to justify quality in the um, I guess in the assembly process compared to the uh, the <clears throat> um, the other means of doing things that are a little more complicated, you know, along the use of hand tools per se, and someone right. putting that much time and effort into something. But I, and I think what it really comes down to is um, you, you hit on a bunch of good points there. I think what it comes down to is the positioning as well. So yes. I think that as you look at it, um, there's going to be two things. There's going to be one is going to be your you're going to be limited by your tooling and skills. We talked about this, you know, before as well. Um, is that the quality of your work will, in some parts, be be limited by what you know how to do and what you have access to, as far as from equipment, right? So if if you don't have a, you know, if you don't have a hollow chisel mortiser, it's going to be a lot more difficult uh, to cut, you know, 136. Uh, mortises in in some white oak but if you have if you have that you know the lower end uh on the lower end of the spectrum as far as like the quality of tools and things like that then it's gonna be much harder to do a higher quality piece so i think that that it it morphs too but when you first start out you um you know you can shoot for whatever level so as we talk about quality versus price what we're really getting at too is that um 
there's a full spectrum there. And mm-hmm. when you think about that, we're actually going to have this as part of the as part of the total download, the playbook, something John and I have talked about. So if you just picture in your mind um, a graph and on the y-axis up and down, you know, you have low price um, on the bottom and, and you have pr- the axis would be price and you have low at the bottom and high at the top. And on the x-axis going horizontally, you have low quality on the bottom and high quality at the top. And this is not workmanship. So I think exactly what John, you know, when we say quality, we're not talking workmanship necessarily. Um, you know, a pine is a higher, is a lower quality piece of wood than a piece of walnut. And that's just what it is. There's not, you know, it's not that one's better than the other um, or more desirable than the other for certain aspects, but it's just a higher piece of quality. So when you think about that chart is where are you going to land in that quality versus price tier? And so if you mm-hmm. want to shoot for a high, uh, high price and high quality, that's a totally different market than low price and low quality. So, you know, as, as you look there, these are the things you should be thinking about. And, and we'll go into, you know, knowing your market and competition and your customer, because you're going to be um, competing against different people in different parts of that matrix or that graph. And you're also going to be selling to much different people in different parts of that graph, even though the same person might buy in different parts of that graph. Um, you're going to definitely, you know, be, marketing your product differently and making your product differently and thinking about it differently. So I think that that's a really interesting thing. So like when you think about that, John, uh, when you think about kind of the the matrix view and thinking about, um, you know, high priced items versus low priced items, or even like a good, better, best, um, you know, how, how do you do in, uh, in your business? How do you do that? You know, is it all, you always talk about high end furniture, uh, but do you have those low end products? Like we talked about the kind of the downsell back in the uh, converting and selling. So, you know, I don't really carry a product line or do products that are, um, you know, of a lower price point. I get tons of inquiries because of one of my YouTube videos for custom cornhole boards. And that was something that I used to make, you know, five to 10 sets a month um, and get them out the door and, and sell them. But I've moved my business model after learning a lot more about how to operate a true business to the desiring to sell, you know, one $10,000 item a month over, you know, 10, $1,000 items a month. Um, and that comes down to, you know, your pricing structure and your target market and, um, as well as the quality of what you've done, um, in the past and what you're doing in the future and, and in a few things. So I try to land in the, you know, I guess, the higher end and the higher price um, on on the spectrum, just because I I know as a one man operation what I'm capable of producing per month. And there's also you know the next step in that is physically how much time do you have to produce the product, and that will also dictate the price. Um, and we'll get into that more in the next episode. But when you think of it in in terms of how you want to price your products initially. You need to be looking at one, where you fall and then two, where you want to fall. Because when I started out, I was obviously doing a lot more basic um, design, a basic joinery. You know, I was I wasn't able to do a lot more of the welding stuff that I do now. And when I did, it was very, um, very simplistic. I was having a buddy of mine do it um, and I was just you know, putting tops together essentially and putting them on metal bases. But what it did was start to get my creative juices flowing. And then I realized that the market, especially where I'm selling, um, is super hot right now because it's backwards (laughs) in the like rustic industrial stuff still. And I'm able to move a more desirable, not per se higher quality, but a more desirable, uh, 
I guess, product as in this reclaimed wood, um, the world of reclaimed wood, which is fetches a higher price point just because that's what the market is right now. You know, I'm if right. you're buying it, you're buying it for a higher price. So you could sell it for a higher price. Um, but because of that, I'm able to, you know, hit that higher end on the quality and the higher end on the, uh, on the, on the price aspect of the spectrum. Now it's a little bit difficult to think about, but in my journey, um, to where I am now, you know, I definitely started out doing a ton of, uh, you know, excuse me, box store, um, lumber projects that I, over time, you know, started realizing that milling out all of the rounded corners, um, starting to use, you know, do some more complex joinery, um, and then not just butt joining everything together per se and face screwing or pocket holing, you know, starting to do, um, some hand cup finger joints or doing some more, uh, sliding, I guess, miters and sliding, <coughs> excuse me, some more miter joints or, uh, my, my miters slide all for? the time, dude. My miters yeah. slide every, I can't ever clamp them up. <laughs> I'm, I'm, what, I, what I'm trying to get at is like dados and rabbits and a little more yeah, complex. Yeah, yeah. Like la- I do a lot of lap joints when I'm doing rustic pieces because it looks cool. One and two, it's, I think it adds just a little more, um, customized aspect to a project instead of just doing, uh, a butt joint pocket hole. And then, so I started adding these little things and over time I realized, you know, obviously the Morrison tenon is what we all want to use on every single project for every single joint, but you can't, (laughs) I get it. So I try to like incorporate as much complex joinery into my woodworking and then complement it with the metalworking, which is also something that brings up my price point because I'm the only guy around doing it. Um, so, you know, you can get the metal, you get the wood, you can, when I'm doing my woodworking, you're getting a little more complex uh, builds and a little more custom. Um, so uh, you're, I'm pushing everything that I'm doing towards both higher sides of it because I, then I don't have to do as much work. I can focus on one piece. I can make one more, one, excuse me, extremely beautiful piece instead of trying to get seven pieces out the door per month. Um, and that's how my mind works and that's how I do it. So, you know, getting started, I definitely had that tiered approach with doing cutting boards, coffee tables, dining tables. Now I'm just taking the high end work. Um, and if I get some low end work that I feel is interesting or cool, you know, I'll see if I can work it in, but I know my numbers well enough that I know how much time stuff takes me. You know, I know what my costs are associated with my markup is. And because of that, I'm able to schedule into my, in my scheduling meeting that I have every week, uh, when I can build those and they're not going to lose me time. And I'm not actually sitting on, um, product ever. Right. Just like chilling on a shelf, waiting to sell kind of thing. Um, Right. Because that is that's my theory on business. But that's something that you also have to take in consideration with the um, I mean, the lower dollar sign items is that you could be sitting on those for a while. Yeah. But I think (laughs) you're on a roll there, brother. So I I think the um, I think the interesting thing is as we look at pricing, and, and I, I'm going to definitely agree with with John and, and kind of rolling into the next topic of know your market and competition, is that um, pushing yourself higher on that quality level. Um, and typically, when you push higher, so if you think about that quality versus price um, for any one specific product, so that's so it's an interesting thing because that you could play out that graph for any product. You could play that out uh, whether mm-hmm. you're doing, you know, 
turned beer handles or uh, cornhole boards or dining tables or built-ins is that there is one of those for each one. And then if you look at it holistically at a total, like, okay, where would they fall? Then, you know, just like a built-in is always going to be far over on that price side. But you might have a super low quality built-in, but it's just going to cost a lot because there's so much material and it takes so long to make it. So when you think of any product that you're selling, I think, you know, think about it in the broad picture of your total portfolio, but also think about it in in that small frame. So let's just take, for instance, cutting boards, because that's something that I used to sell. I um, mean, I'll probably do, you know, a few here as well during the holidays. But uh, we talked about this, I believe, in the selling the products online was, um, you know, getting those custom pieces. So when you can go higher up on that quality and in the quality that can be in the terms of how you make it. Or mm-hmm. it could also be in the terms of what's in it. So like some the high quality wood, whether it's an exotic or whether it's just a really nice figured piece. Uh, and so, again, you know, kind of supply and demand is that as you go up that curve uh, with quality is that it's, it's in any one product line, it's going to be fairly linear of quality and price. You know, at some point, at some point, it, there's diminishing returns and all that good stuff. Um <laughs> <laughs> we won't get too deep here, but, but yeah, I think that, so thinking about the competition though, as well, is that when you get into it, um, the barrier to entry at that low quality, low price is, um, very, very low. You can go out and go get a pocket hole jig for 20 bucks and mm-hmm. be slapping together, uh, boards with, you know, construction grade lumber. So, you know, you can put 50 bucks, you can go to the store with 50 bucks, come back and make a coffee table easy peasy lemon squeezy right and anybody can do it and and lots of people do it and that's that's kind of the uh the gateway drug to woodworking for a lot of folks is they oh, can yeah. do that right <laughs> so yeah, but you're but you're gonna have to compete it. with those folks <laughs> yeah, yeah you're gonna have to compete with those folks um but yeah so I, I think that as you think about the competition is look at it the same way the higher you go on that quality line and the more skill that's evolved or the higher quality of wood the less people you're going to be competing against um, yes. and, and the price also goes up, the margin goes up along with that, right? Absolutely. And, and I, um, the way I look at it is, you know, competition is always going to breed better results in my eyes. You gotta remember I'm an athlete, you know, I'm, I base everything off of competition just because it's how my mind works. So I'm going to walk out on the field and I'm going to look at the best guy in the eyes and I'm going to put my hand on the ground and I'm going to go at it with him because I know it's going to make me better. So in in the realm of woodworking and furniture making, you know, I go and I look at BJ Mack and I go and look at Jordan Bingham and I go and I look at, you know, um, Greg Klassen and see these guys making extremely high end, beautiful furniture. And then you look at their shops and then you look at their life and you're like, hmm, what's different from them than a cup, some of the people that may be producing a massive volume and quantity, um, but the type of product is way different. You, you know, it's uh, supply and demand. So they have a much less supply of their product, but the demand of it's higher because it's so custom. It's so well done. Right. It's, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. And you get, so I try to push my products to get to a point where it's like they're desired to a point where that the demand for them justifies the price point over the um, concept of supply and where everyone like you touched on can go and slap a table together with pine. Like, yes, I'm all for it. Go learn how to do woodworking with construction grade lumber. And then the minute you feel confident, stop doing it and go get yourself some hardwoods and try with that. Like keep pushing yourself, especially if you want to sell, because those are the types of opportunities you're going to see. Like I just sold a walnut coffee table for a thousand dollars and I only spent a hundred bucks on materials. 
well, don't worry, we'll teach you how to price properly. But when you used to sell coffee tables for 300 bucks, you made out of pine and you'll see that like, Hmm, I'd rather sell five of those next month than I would right. five pine tables. Why? Because who wouldn't, you know, it's insane that you don't. <laughs> and it's because the demand of it justifies a higher price point. And that's because the quality of the goods and the competition in the market is, you know, once you start getting right. up to the higher end stuff, there's much less people doing it. And it gives you opportunities to, you know, raise your prices, create better work, create a better portfolio, hit that better and best tiers on your, on your pricing and your products and give you a better opportunity to grow your business. Um, when everyone's doing the same thing, you want to be that guy that jumps out of the jar. And that's, and that's something my coaches always used to say is if, you know, jump out of the jar, if (laughs) the story goes back to, you, you know, put a, handful of fleas in a jar and put the lid on it. They're all going to start jumping and try to get out and they're going to hit their head so many times that they're just going to give up and quit. You take the lid off, they stay in the jar. Well, you want to be that flea that jumps out of the jar when the opportunity presents itself. And if you see that you can continue to grow and continue to push yourself, you know, take advantage of it. You know, you have an opportunity to do a project with higher and wood, go jump, use it, you know, make something out of Oak, even that's better than pine, you know, make something that you can um, now take your pricing and jump it up a little bit because you've done some higher quality work. Like I said, I've started there. That's what I was doing three years ago, you know, and I've continually tried to push to use higher end quality product. And because I see that there's no not really any competition in my area using the materials I'm using now, that's kind of why I've niched into it. There's some guys doing beautiful work. One guy does very modern stuff with almost all walnut. That's why I don't compete there. <laughs> There's another guy that's doing a lot of work with slabs. Um, they do an incredible job of reclaiming slabs off of uh, properties where they've fallen or have, you know, have to be torn down and turn them into gorgeous furniture. So I don't really compete there either. I do some slab work, but I'm not really pushing it a ton as I push um, the reclaimed wooden metal stuff. And that's because I saw the competition in the space a lower barrier to entry, but a higher price point, a demand exists for it. You know, I was able to do some more higher end work justifying that price. And, you know, I kind of just jumped into it when I saw that opportunity. But if I was not, you know, like I've done a ton of work with harder woods and I've done a ton of work with like, like I, I did a Wangi um, media console and it, my, I would have, I took a loss on it and I would have never, I'll never do it again, but I learned a ton <laughs> because it was such a you know difficult wood for me to work with and I wasn't really equipped to do it, nor was my knowledge set there and stuff. So, you know, go push yourself. You're not going to win every single battle, but you know, you're going to win the war if you continually try to get better. Um, and then, I mean, that's kind of where I look at competition as, um, why would I want to be this guy? Oh, I see an opportunity to beat him or, you know, I see an opportunity to beat her or whatever it might be and do something different and be a little bit, um, be a little bit differentiated and jump out of that jar. You know, I'm not trying to compete. <laughs> I don't think it's smart to just try to do something that somebody else is already winning at the exact same. I mean, <laughs> so do something a little bit different, tweak it a bit, make it your brand and go jump out of the jar. Well, you ready to, jump I, I out, think, ready to jump out of the jar, Brad? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just wondering how many fleas you guys had at pit. So whatever. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, I, I like the idea of the supply and demand uh, for sure being, you know, a, a business guy and and understanding like what is your differentiation as well. So when you do the supply and demand, when you think about supply and demand, you can create your own supply of differentiation or you can excuse, let me let me rephrase that you can make your 
differentiation will make you more rare. So like you just yes. said, right? Why would I, why do I want to go do what everybody else is doing? How do I differentiate so that I'm going into an area where the supply is low, which would be a new design, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you think about like Jory Brigham, you talked about like he makes some amazing stuff. And so design is a great way to differentiate and a great way to get out there into a different niche where the supply is low because you're you're taking, you know, something that's been done and putting your your spin on it, your tweak on it. And that's why when you think about, you know, a Sam Maloof, when you think about these people who oh, yeah. are just these like renowned uh, furniture makers is that they have their own design. And so you've created your own demand and supply by your artistic rendition or your design of whatever this thing is, right? So a sculpted rocker, like that didn't exist until somebody made it. I don't know if, if Sam was the actual inventor of that, but I'm sure, but he was, he's absolutely the best known for it. But, um, you know, making it something where if you're making stuff, and I think the cool thing is too, is that if people, if, if people are not ready and they don't don't have the money to invest in the tooling or invest in the materials or or whatever it is, and they're still working with pine. Man, I've seen some amazing stuff made out of construction grade lumber that is really really cool design. Now, would mm-hmm. that have looked cooler out of walnut? Yeah, sure. But I think you could still differentiate. So as you're in the salt mines and you're you know don't quite have that money to get that twenty inch planer or or even a planer at all, and you just have the table saw, and so you're kind of stuck either buying the dimensional hardwood you know that's really expensive or getting the construction grade lumber. Is that um, I think you can use that time and use that you know that space that you're in at the moment to figure out how to do it better how to do it in a different design something unique that other people aren't doing and that's a great way to um you know basically raise your quality and introduce something new uh so you know don't so if you can't quite get up to that quality side yet you know work where you're at and just and and try to do it differently and that will help differentiate you and that will help you be when they're looking through the sea of Etsy listings or whatever and they go, oh yeah, there's an X-Brace coffee table, an X-Brace coffee table, and I, yep, yep, yep. And then they go, ooh, wow, look at it. Like that that thing, like a great example, well, that's probably not a great example because it was made on CNC, but that, that CNC table you posted, John, mm-hmm. that, um, that you're Mind working boy. with that, that designer on, right? That's made out of plywood. Now they, they use the CNC, obviously, but you know, you could do the same thing carving it, right? Somebody could glue up those panels and use a um, Arbor Tech on that, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? So that's like something that is just completely different with, with very low end materials. Um, you know, one of our, one of our good friends, uh, Ben Ueda, does an amazing job at that. He does a lot of plywood mm-hmm. and construction lumber, but when you look at his designs, they all stand like, out. He is, he's, very low on the barrier to entry but when you look at the stuff he makes it's like oh wow nobody's making this nobody's doing this stuff and if he were selling those pieces he could demand a premium versus you know something an x-brace coffee table that is just so ubiquitous now yes and and uh that price point is justified based on exactly what you said the differentiation of the design as well as the quality of the craftsmanship. And I think that those are two things that you should 100% make sure you're keeping in mind as you try to push your, uh, your, I guess your product development, um, and trying to increase the, oh, I guess a, a price that you're charging to your clients. So, you know, ugh, taking a step backwards, looking at back, 
we've just talked about knowing your product, the quality versus price concept. Uh, we harped on it pretty well on, you know, the pushing the quality part of it, um, especially with the design and the materials, and then also your craftsmanship as you can progress with your tools and your skills. And then looking at the market and the competition are, are like our, you know, the one and two um, for the show. And that reason is because the third aspect coming into it, and I think this is something that uh, is extremely interesting, is knowing your customer is just as important as the other two. And I think it's like almost the biggest part because a lot of us who are trying to sell look at um, a customer as uh, like an oh my God moment. <laughs> Someone asks you to make them something and then pay you for it. And you're like, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> this, like, yes, you're chomping at the bit. But right. <laughs> that has a lot more involved with it. And I think um, having a mindset and an approach to your, you know, your perfect customer or to understanding your customer before you sell to them will help you in the long term more than um, just winging it and selling to whomever because from my experience, I've run into quite often selling this an individual that I knew I probably should have said no to from the get go. And I, and I think right. we've all been there. Um, and I'm sure you've had experience with this too, Brad. I mean, I know you are uh, as analytical as you are um, with your spreadsheets and, uh, and your radisms, you know, the, the customer <laughs> part, that's, it, it goes right back to everything we've preached on the show is, is people. And we love people and, and helping people and, and, you know, building relationships with people. That's where we, I think we start with the customer. And, and, but um, I want to, I want to play that out a bit. Cause I, I really like that. And I kind of want to dive a little deeper on this part because it's an interesting conversation. Uh, exactly what you said is the personal relationships and, what I see a lot of or what I hear a lot of is exactly what you just said, is that people get into woodworking as a hobby and then somebody asks them to build something for them. And that a lot of times people don't go in and start woodworking to get into it as a business. They fall mm -hmm. into it as a business because somebody asked them to make something, whether it's a family member. And then, you know, there's that whole thing. Oh, my gosh, what do I charge a family member or a friend? And there's you know <laughs> all that good stuff. But I yes. think a lot of people fall into it. So I think that there's more of like the accidental uh, business woodworker, you know, in, in that sense. So yeah. I, so the, what I want to kind of play out a little bit is is do you you know if you're going into it that way or after you've you found yourself in the spot where wow okay I'm, I'm now selling do you make the product and sell it you know do you make the product that you want to make and then go to sell it or do you find the customer that you want and then make to what they're looking to buy because that's you know and i've i've never thought of it that way because i don't do the product side that much um, but I do that on the digital side. So we, we've been talking physical product. So for a minute, digital, same thing. So I've got to know my product. Now, on the digital space, uh, everything is compressed much more. So you're talking plan sales. Um, you're talking, you know, maybe some courses, some things like that. Um, so just I'm talking like business to customer. I'm not talking anything about sponsorship. I'm just talking about, you know, I make and sell plans. Uh, and in the future, I'd like to probably do some courses as well. But when you look at that, um, that is absolutely something I do for plans because I look at it. It's not I don't build a plan and they go, hey, I mean, sometimes I'll do that just because of the nature of the product. But I'll also look one of the things I and I've talked about this before. One of the things I ask the people who join my newsletter in my intro newsletter uh, reply back to them is what do you struggle with? 
And so what I'm trying to find out is what are their pain points? We've talked about pain points before. And as a business, what you're trying to do is solve people's pain points because that's value to them and they're going to pay you for that. So, you know, how do you think that plays out like in the in the furniture world? And have you thought about it that way or, you know, what does that look like? No, 100 percent. And that's exactly what I was going to ask you is, do you think that the customer comes first? And in in my opinion, 100 percent all day long. Um, and, and it's great that you led into that. Um because I do think that if you're trying to sell, you shouldn't just be creating things with the hope of selling. In a perfect world, you could just be as creative as you absolutely want, but you gotta remember, I don't think Vincent Van Gogh sold a painting while he was alive, <laughs> like, and he is you know, one of the most renowned paint, uh, artists in the history of the world. You know, that being said, just creating things to create them is extremely therapeutic and great for the creative process, but it's very, very difficult to sell those things. Um, I would, I would suggest, and this is from a business standpoint in, you know, building your tribe and creating customer relationships with individuals in order to sell them on a preferential means, um, or, you know, with, I guess with some sort of favor in your relationship at first. So, you know, because we've all had that moment where someone's asked us, can you build me this? You know, I'll pay you. And you're like, oh, you're salivating at that point because you're like, oh, my God, my hobby, my hobby is going to make me some money. Yes, 100 percent love that. But, you know, what's the most important part of that interaction? And that's the relationship you have with that individual. That's why they chose you to buy something. They could have probably gone to anybody else. Now, does that mean you cut them a break? Absolutely not. But <laughs> that, that's a little bit. Uh, that, John that's upsells that's, the that's, family. That's, that my family owns nothing that I make because um, because I'm a prick. No, it's, uh, <laughs> my family is actually very understanding and they realize that I pay my mortgage with this and to ask me for favors. You know, obviously, it's going to take me a little more time. Um, love my family and they're extremely supportive. But that is yeah. one difficult aspect of getting into business. So when friends and family are approaching you to build stuff and you're and it's early on, make sure that, yeah, I mean, if you want to do the job for less, I'm not going to say no, don't do it. But make sure that you're still understanding your pricing strategy and that you don't want to sacrifice the quality of the work or, um, you know, creating something for them. Don't do it. You don't have to go completely over the top and blow their mind if they're not willing to pay you for that time. Um, and, and I would always work backwards from a budget. You know, I, that's something that took me a year and a half to learn is that if you just get the budget question out of the way early with your with anyone that's inquiring to buy something from you, it really helps you solidify the type of product you can provide for them. So if you base your pricing structure and your in your sales concept off of the people and off of the relationship first, you can work backwards from a price or, you know, a budget. Right. And you're going to always be working in a more favor. Like you're not going to create something design that you know is just going to cost seven times what they're looking to spend if you can work from the relationship first. So, you know, those are the type of things like how can I help you? You know, what are you looking for? Is there anything that inspires you? You know, what type of um, what type of home is it going into or, or, or restaurant building, whatever it might be? And is there anything that, you know, I can do? Uh, to help spark your your creative interests. And, and that happens in your first conversation, whether it's on the phone or via email. And when that happens, you'll be able to get a sense of, okay, this person's budget's $1,000 and they're looking for a dining table. Well, that one drops down the quality of the type of wood that you're going to be able to use. And then two, the amount of time you're going to be able to put into it is going to be limited if you want to make any money on it because you know that they're 
top end budget and I would always push it, you know, 25% over, but the, uh, the top end budget isn't going to allow much wiggle room for getting extremely creative. Now, if someone says 10 grand, shoot the moon, pull out the best thing you got in the bag and, you know, and hit a home run with it. Those are the type of clients that you're looking for long-term, but that all starts with a customer and building that relationship before, you know, or just at least working towards building the relationship over just sell, 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 sell. Right. I I think the cool thing too, is that in today's digital world is that you, you have a whole, there's a whole nother um, tool bag at your disposal that, you know, never was there. I mean, so, you know, back in the day you, you could draft it, but what I'm getting at is more of, uh, you know, doing SketchUp or doing things that you don't have to have a portfolio of products of finished goods that you have pictures of to sell people. You can make new designs. And like we were talking about, you could make new designs and take that to somebody and find mm-hmm. out what they're looking for. Because I think the problem with, um, you know, what some people, again, get stuck into is they made a coffee table. Somebody bought a coffee table, so they make another one. Right. And so it's like they're, they're making coffee tables because they're selling coffee tables, but they're selling coffee tables because they're making coffee tables. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you that you can you can use things like SketchUp or or any of these 3D design softwares to get out there and uh, make some ideas. And like the rendering these days, man, is, is ridiculous. You can make some really lifelike stuff. I've mm-hmm. not really gotten into it, but I've definitely seen there's some great plugins for SketchUp. I know. Uh, that'll just render like crazy and it'll look, you know, really, really close to, to real uh, with textures and everything and shadows and, and the whole nine yards is that. And also the other thing, obviously, too, is you can sell. I know we've talked about this as well, that people will come with inspiration from Pinterest, uh, yes. but you can go to Pinterest and go like, OK, hey, yeah, I could make that. And now it's a whole lot easier, I think. Um, to say, this is a table I built last year for this customer. They love it. You know, yeah, I can build you one exactly like this versus saying, oh, yeah, I can I can build that. And then you're like, eh, OK, how exactly am I going to build that? Like, you know, because if you've got one picture of one view and you're not exactly <laughs> yeah. sure, yeah. you know, that's definitely making it harder. And, and you're going to be able to sell something that you've made before because you know all the ins and outs. Also, obviously, the pricing, again, you know, which we'll get into, you're not exactly sure when you've never made something, it's harder to price it because you don't know all the time that went into it and, and necessarily the techniques mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I would say is, is you know, have that portfolio, but but use it to expand as well. So as you start talking to customers, um, you know, throw it out there. And especially on the, like the digital side, it's, it's really interesting on the digital side. And I know, uh, you know, John, as you, you and I both listen to, you know, uh, Pat Flynn or, or John Lee Dumas or, or any of these guys that talk about um, the minimum viable product and that one of the techniques is to set up a course, is to set up a sales page for a course that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And you talk about, hey, I'm going to get, you know, there's going to be 20 hours of this and, and that and this book. And you basically put the whole sales page together no content behind it and then you you market it and see who clicks on it and if nobody clicks on it then you know you've just gotten this piece of information about your customers so it's it's almost like that with sketchup too you could make all these designs of new tables and instead of using your time to actually go through with the designs go float that in front of some customers and see if it resonates yes and i think that um, touches into the, you know, the next point I wanted to make on what are you advertising to them? Are you pushing them the same thing over and over and over again? Or are you willing to, uh, you know, push that client to do something a little different, something that you've had in the bag, you know, something that you designed or had 
in your creative bank that you wanted to do on your next project. And a great tool for that is, uh, you know, the digital sketching, op- you know, the op- options that are out there. I actually strictly work from that. All my clients, you know, they come in, they inquire, they, we sign a contract, they get a 3D model and we work backwards from the model before I even get into anything. All my models are custom for the client, which is obviously something that, you know, the client's going to understand at that point that their price point is based off of the time I put into it. And then they get to see that time. You know, I'm not just telling them, oh, I put 15 hours into this design. It's like, well, you saw 16 different renderings of the model, <laughs> you know, right. and, and, and that helps justify the X price point at the end. So um, advertising to that client, you know, you are getting a 100 percent custom design from the ground up is completely different than saying I built one of these coffee tables two years ago. I'd love to make you another one make sure you understand what you're putting out there. Um, and I think what Brad was touching on is a, is a great point. You can create a portfolio without physically making stuff by using drawing programs and 3d renderings. You know, you can, or you can even use this crazy old, old school concept of drawing them by hand. But (laughs) (laughs) those, uh, that's something that when you're trying to develop your customer or work backwards, that is definitely a great tool. Um, make sure you're providing the customer with as much information as possible to get them into a favorable light. You know, if their budget's a thousand bucks and you can get a drawing done in 10 minutes, get them that drawing knowing that, you know, I can make $200 on this table and whatever hit you're willing to make because you want to do something creative, blah, blah, blah. And, the, and, and use that opportunity to, you know, tease them more towards what you want to do and work that into your work that into your product catalog long term. Um, also, keep in mind, you know, the perfect customer like who who I know I, I know I have mine. But for, for you, Brad, like um, being in the digital space and selling digital product, who is your perfect customer? Yeah, it, it we talk, I think we talked about this in the business plan as well, is that the perfect customer. So and and some people name them. They I mean like give them avatars and stuff. I've not gone that that far, but um he's definitely be wearing, you know, a, a tank with an American flag and a headband whenever yes. I make my avatar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, actually that's your perfect that that's your perfect like drinking that's, buddy. That's me right now. <laughs> my t shirt says yeah. USA on it. <laughs> exactly. My, my, yeah. So my perfect customer is, um, is honestly is, is me or somebody very similar to me, um, because it is somebody who has, you know, who is, uh, you know, probably 30 to 40. Um, I'm going to have to raise that up, man, for next year, I have to say 30 to 41, but you know, they probably a family man, uh, and they have disposable income. And so they're not worried about, and even like you think about, okay, I'm, I'm selling a $9 plan. You know, you would think you're saying a thousand dollars on a coffee table versus, uh, you know, $9, but to some people, I mean, there's a huge barrier, like, oh man, I'm not, I'm not spending nine bucks, like no way. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well that's two, you know, Vintes or what I don't, I don't drink coffee, but so that's, that's like less than two coffees from Starbucks. Um, but at the same time, so I think like people who, um, you know, professional who is like, you know, nine bucks, isn't going to break the bank for them. And they can think, Oh, just, you know, if I really need to save that money, I won't go have my, my Starbucks. So it's people with disposable income, but it's also people who, um, you know, probably a little bit more either technical or, um, you know, basically work with their hands. Obviously they're woodworkers. Yeah. Uh, so people who want to, to learn and, and people who are willing to, um, buy into like the the total package of I don't want it to be transactional. 
I want it to be somebody who's got a sense of humor or somebody who like they look at my post and like they'll laugh about the stupid stuff that I do. Right. Versus being like, this guy's this guy's a nut job, but I'm just going to go ahead and buy his plan. Like <laughs> I want it to be somebody who is going to come in and be part of the community with me um, and inter- interact with me because not only because I, I enjoy that. I mean, that's the greatest part. Right, John, um, for me is that like the people, again, who I think are my customer, me, and like, I want to hang out with them. Like, I want to, you know, when I think about that, it's like somebody I'd want to hang out with. And so the conversations are rich, um, the interactions on Instagram and on email and on Patreon and all these things. Uh, and then they love what I do. I can help support them. And then the coolest thing is to see some of them then go and do their own thing. So mm-hmm. I can support them and then they can move on and go down. You know, maybe they go to Spagnolo and they go to the Guild because it's like, you know, my stuff is not high technical skill um i'm more getting people as they're coming either right into woodworking or kind of transitioning through and that's where i'm positioning so um you know that's where i look at my perfect customer is like somebody who's transitioning through um and is just willing to learn and ready to to just jump in and and um you know uh because they like what i do so and i think What's beautiful about everything you just said there is how much emphasis you were putting on the person, the people, you know, like obviously you've thought about this before. Obviously, you know that that customer is a human being and it's not just a transaction. And that's how all of us should be looking at our customers. You know, for me, I understand that (laughs) an individual who emails me looking for a piece that says, I just bought my first home. Um, You know, we're just I'm trying to find this specific piece is going to have a much less budget, much less of a budget, excuse me than, uh, you know, the dink, the, the double income, no kid, the 27 to 35 year old couple that works in corporate America is on their second home um, and has a ton of expendable income. I understand that from right. the get go because I understand that my perfect customer is that double income, no kid or those empty nesters. You know, I'm not typically selling to individuals between let's say 35 to 50, um, eh, not 50, 35 to like 46 or seven, um, just because you know, that's when you're full throttle getting your kids through school. That's when your expendable, your expendable income (laughs) is, is spent on, you know, Doritos and going to the movies and your kids (laughs) hospital bills. Uh, if you're Brad, no, No, uh, ironically, Brad and I were talking about how terrible my brother and I were as kids, but, uh, right before the show, but either way, you know, the empty nesters now have that income back, you know, their kids are in college or they, or their, their, their expenses aren't there. So I understand that I'm looking for that client more often and I gear my product more towards them. So I'm able to, you know, design things that are going to be in a more luxurious 10 year home instead of that starter home. I'm able to design things that are going to be more lifelong instead of that immediate fix for a client. So think about that when you're thinking about your customer and where they're at in their life. You know, I'm not going to push a client that just had a baby to buy something more ridiculous because of my own personal benefit. I'm going to tell them, you know, I'm not the guy for you and, and call it that because, you know, we all want to win in this situation. And there's just those times when knowing your customer and saying no is going to be just as valuable as taking on the job um, because of the situation there. So Right. Because of referrals too, right? Referrals and they're going to come back to you yes. later after they've, after they've had those. It's interesting when you said that, John, about the, that, that like basically you're not targeting my customer. And I said, you know, my people are disposable income, I guess really, uh, you know, and you hit on it and because I'm living it, maybe I wasn't, I'm not thinking about it as much, but um, you would never buy my stuff. Like, would you? I mean, no, let's be honest, I would absolutely never, <laughs> even if I wasn't a woodworker, I wouldn't because I'm cheap. Uh, but I, I would be like, nah, dude, I'm, I'm like, I'll, I'll go make it myself. Um, yes. <laughs> but is that, 
I think the cool thing, like when, as I think about, you know, when I say disposable income, I'm more thinking about small, but like I said, you know, save those coffees to go buy a plan. Uh, but it's like, it, it's a guy who is in the grind and mm-hmm. is trying to maybe find themselves or find yeah. a hobby for themselves. They're hitting that quote unquote midlife crisis or that, you know, they're, they're getting, they're tired of, of just doing the corporate day to day and they want to work with their hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like that. And so it's interesting when I talk about disposable income, it, it's a, a completely different scale than when you talk about disposable income. Right. So yeah. I'm yeah. saying, Hey, can you afford, you know, to do, to spend 10 bucks a month on a plan you're saying, you know, can you drop a grand on a coffee table? So yeah, it's really interesting. So as you think about your customers, um, that's the kind of stuff that you really should be going through your mind is that, uh, you know, what position in life are they in? What is their financial uh, situation look like? And the interesting thing is, right. So, so I say, you know, you say that's your perfect customer. I say that's my perfect customer. Now do we serve, and, and I don't have any numbers on this, but I would say, even though that's the perfect customer, that's probably, less than for sure less than 50% of my customers because I get a ton of people who are brand new who are just coming out of college or I get a lot of actually I've, I've started to get a lot of empty nesters now I get a lot of retired folks mm-hmm. uh, actually a lot of <laughs> a lot of my emails that's probably my number one responder to my emails is like retired guys because oh, yeah. they're like hey I ain't, I ain't got nothing to do I'm gonna email this guy so it's like yeah I'm retired and it's really cool to hear their stories but uh, and you know they like emails so they're not gonna hit me on Instagram uh, but yeah so like I think connecting with your customers too. So doing that, like if you're out there marketing in different spots, you know, you also need to understand, because I know we've talked about this a lot, John, is where are your customers? So not only who they are, but where they are. And that gets back into the advertising and selling your products online and marketing your business online. Um, But if, if I want to hit that 35 to 40 year old guy or 30 to 40 year old guy, um, man, YouTube's a great place to be. And Facebook is a great place to be. Uh, you know, if you want to hit the millennial, it's going to be Instagram, right? Snapchat. And it's, it's exactly, it's not even going to be Instagram anymore. It's going to be whatever. Musically because, and Snapchat. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I don't even know what Musically is. So that's, that goes to show you. <laughs> Come on, G- Gary Vee would be so mad at you. Uh, I know, I know he would. <laughs> it's all good though. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's a great conversation. That's the one I really wanted to also hit on uh, the most was just talking about the customer because there is, so much there. It's so rich and uh, make no bones about it. Your business does not exist without customers. Yeah. And it's the most important part. It is absolutely the most important part. So that's the one we wanted to hit on the most. And it can change the top two, like we talked Mm -hmm. about, is that um, if you're, if you find, uh, that's another cool thing is like, if you find, you listen for what your customer wants that they can't find. Because yes. if that's you come f- from that relationship building, absolutely. And if you Nailed can fill it. that, I'm pumping <laughs> over here because the, you're 100% the demand right. is there. The demand is there, and the supply is not there. Man, if if you ever hear a customer say, "You know what? I would really love, but I can't find," like boom, like stop what you're doing, pull out your pencil and paper, pull out that's your it. field notes and your pen, and write that down. And mm-hmm. and if you hear that, you know, and so maybe you don't act on it immediately, but maybe you do for them. But if you hear that three or four times, then you you jump all over that uh, because that is an unfilled market. And that's how you that's how you win responding to your customers needs. hundred percent. There's a um, a great episode on on 
the Protractor podcast that we that I've been on, um, BJ Mack did his episode, unbelievable woodworker, super talented, been watching him for years. Brian's a great guy. Um, yeah. He was discussing the fact that he actually works with almost one client exclusively. And it's because that person is looking for such different stuff that Brian's able to be like, yes, this is super artistic and awesome and build some a lot of awesome custom stuff. Um, we'll leave a link to that and you guys can check it out yourselves. But it's unbelievable if you can find that like one, two, three, maybe four customers Customers that are looking for that extremely high end or Nate crazy work, how much enjoyment you can get out of it. And you can actually build a pretty decent business around stuff like that. So great point there, Brad, too. I mean, that's it's it's you got it. It's all going to come back to that relationship. And it's funny. We're talking about pricing and we got right into relationship again because that's that's where we go with everything that we do, man. And, and I think it's uh, it should always be at the forward of your brain, even when you're talking about numbers and dollars. Absolutely. Why don't you hit him with some takeaways, man? I think we got some good ones here. All right. Let me wipe the sweat off my forehead real quick and um, get back. (laughs) So pricing is an extremely complex concept, but if you simplify it to, you know, um, to, to what we believe in here at Made for Profit, we want you to be thinking about three things. We want you to be thinking about product. We want you to be thinking about the market or competition. And we want you to be thinking about that customer that customer being the most important. So takeaways are always be pushing the quality of what you're creating, whether it's from the uh, um, type of material you're using to the um, complexity of design and the method of creation itself. Um, Don't be stagnant in where you are. Try to push your skills and jump out of the jar. One, (laughs) I'm hammering that home. If you haven't noticed, jump Jump out of the jar, people. (laughs) (laughs) Two, understand the market um, and, and, and the competition in the market, creating lower end product is always going to have an easier barrier to entry than creating extremely high, excuse me, it's going to have a, yes, that was right there. It's going to have a much easier barrier to entry than the higher end product. And what that's going to do is create a lower price point because the market is going to be much more saturated. So understand that the market itself is the supply and demand of the market is going to affect how you're able to price your products. And then three, Put that customer first. Make sure that you are going into your pricing concepts with an individual based on that individual. Your pricing structure should be able to be flexible enough that you can always compensate to build a relationship with an individual hoping for something more long term. It's incredible. We talk about that all the time and how applicable it is. But if you put that at the forefront of your brain, you're setting yourself up to win. Love it. Love it. So for the homework, uh, falling into those three categories again, I, and we're going to, we're going to start talking about this, but what I'll ask you to think about is look at the products and just draw that general graph quality on one axis price on the other axis. And, and whatever that looks like for you, cause that's different for different people, uh, as far as how far that quality goes up on the end, but look at what you're selling as a product and kind of map it out and see where do you play or, or think about where you play. Uh, and then on that next one, on the competition, l- lay in where is that most competition. So start to get that feel of, okay, here's my products and here's, oh man, I know all these people, whether I'm local, whether I'm selling online, whether I'm selling at craft fairs, um, think about your local competition and put them on that map as well. Because that'll also, what that'll do is show you some gaps where you might be able to go into. Um, and then the last one, of course, about the customer is identify that customer. You know, John talked about, 
his, I've talked about mine, who is your ideal customer and, and have that person in mind when you're putting together your products, putting together uh, new products for sure, and looking for feedback on the next place to go um, as you do raise your quality and look for different places to go where the competition is not. Love it. Love it, man. I think this is going to be an awesome playbook and I can't wait for episode two. So next week we're going to be talking about actual pricing strategies, right? Yes. This is, uh, this is going to be the meat, meat, the meat of the content sandwich. A full ribeye. I mean, talking two (laughs) inches, two inches thick, so rare that it's mooing. I'm I'm, I'm stoked. The old 69er. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Or is that the old 96er? The old 96er? Sizzler. (laughs) (laughs) Or what are the, uh, what are the modern makers like Applebee's? Is that where that's? Uh, Yeah. Applebee's. Yeah. 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 That's like a, a a huge, you know, grilled chicken salad at Applebee's. Um, Oh, All right. Man. So looking at it next week, we're we're getting excited to be there. But what we're going to do uh, now is we're actually going to head into our after show. Uh, before we head into our after show, uh, again, wanted to thank you guys for all your feedback over on iTunes. We're actually coming up. We just checked it before the show. Uh, we're closing in on 100 five-star reviews over there on iTunes, which is amazing. Helps us get in front of more ears. Uh, we're thinking of something fun we can do for uh, when we get to 100. And also maybe some incentives for those things um, as looking at, you know, how can we uh, thank you guys for those. But right now we're going to be going into the after show for our patrons. Again, we'd mentioned at the top of the show, if you want to hear uh, some extra content and join the MFP tribe and get some cool rewards there, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. And today we're going to be answering a couple questions. Um, one about optimizing YouTube. And this is actually going to be a full episode later, um, but about you know how to get seen and known on YouTube. Uh, we're going to hit some very, very specific questions on that. Uh, and then the other one is dealing with fake and spam accounts, uh, as we all have issues with that. So asking some questions on how to handle those. So... Let's go blow up this after show, John. What do you think? Oh, let's get after it, dude. All right, man. Catch y'all next episode. See you guys. So thank you guys for checking out the show. If you'd like any more information, you can head over to madeforprofit.com. We'll have our show notes as well as our email list subscription you can sign up for. There you'll receive tips of the week as well as all of our other actionable content. If you're digging the show, we'd love to get a five-star review over on iTunes and we would greatly appreciate that. If you have any other questions or suggestions, you can email us at madeforprofitpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love any of your input as well as any of your future show topic suggestions. You can hit us up on Instagram at madeforprofit where we will be answering your questions and giving out tips to help you grow on your own social networks. So once again, we really want to thank you guys for tuning in and we will catch you on the next episode.